Welcome, investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. All right, let's let's go to the let's go to the next section of the video. You know, this case I think has gone unsolved for so many years because the girls just vanished. Broward Sheriff's Office cold case homicide detective Andrew Giannino has spent two years trying to untangle the mystery of how Barbara and Darlene began a seemingly ordinary day in 1975 in Hollywood and by nightfall were murdered and left in an area off of US 27 on the edge of the Everglades known as Andytown. All right, Tom, what do you know about Andytown? Oh, Andy Town, probably the precursor for the film Porky's, the bar in Porky's. It wasn't uh, it wasn't like Porky's. It was a small place, but it was a gas station and um, had a bar in there and a package store and a few other sundries, too. And I think it was built right after World War Two. A guy named Andy Poulos uh, owned it. And then I think one of his relatives inherited after he passed away shortly before these girls murdered, but it was the middle of nowhere. And I probably wouldn't even know it except my dad was work security for Florida power and light, excuse me. And he would go out and the substation was right across the street on the East side of the road. And he would check those areas and he would uh, inspect them and make sure that there was, because that was one of the big grid systems out that way. So the Andy town substation, Otherwise, it's kind of lost to history. It still ends up on the map for some reason. And it's a very, very remote area out there at the time. Um, there was really no reason, unless you're going north and south on 70, I'm sorry, 27, which takes you just to Lake Okeechobee, which is extremely desolate. So very few people traveled it back in those days. That was the end of the world. There was no I-75. It precedes it. So it was a two-lane road. Uh, actually, it may have been four, but you could disappear off that pretty easily. And there were other girls dumped there and uh unless you see a set of headlights coming it's it's um you're not going to get caught um west of andy town it's just a big vast expanse of everglades and that's not it's it's uh, like a wheat field of water i guess it's the best way to describe that everglades so it's flat and open and people used to fish out there and used to get some some encampments a little bit further out on those but that was about it and then very few roads actually went all the way out to 27 that is that north south boundary or that roadway so one was 84 right near where andy town was four miles north of that intersection is where these girls bodies were dumped so it's really um uh, fortuitous that they were discovered within hours of being murdered because those biological life processes didn't destroy that evidence that you talked about before but certainly heat uv rain all sorts of things could have played havoc on that uh, any any bio, biological material any dna that would have been there and um and i, I we're talking probably touch dna because we know mvax involvement it would have as a cold case i've worked this with a, a semen sample that was left behind and it at all accounts don't indicate that's the case so it was as rob shows uh touch dna that that happened on this yeah that's absolutely incredible and we also have to remember that this is june uh, the middle of June in, uh, in Florida. So, uh, how, how, so let's, let's just take this scenario and talk about how, like you said, how fortuitous it was that they were found the the next day by, you know, the, um, 
a family that was headed out down that road and going fishing. So if they had been found, say, a day or two days after they had actually been found, so from the time of death to when they were found was actually probably less than less than 24 hours, and most of it was nighttime. So, um, you know, it's going to be cooler. It's still going to be hot in, in Florida, you know, that time of year. But if, it, if they had gone even, an, even another 24 hours, what would the decay of the bodies been like? Yeah, any, any number of things could have happened there. So I think about 13 hours later is when they were found an estimation, maybe as maybe less than that, maybe down to about seven uh, in the in-between. So that's a miracle that that happened. If he had, they'd thrown him in the water, that would have degraded it. But the animal activity would have started pretty quickly. So the decomp hadn't started real severely yet. And I'm surprised it hadn't because that's a pretty active animal area. The only thing is, is that it's so open compared to being further west into the Everglades themselves, which is impossible to get to. It, it sounds great that you, you have to get out there on an airboat. You, otherwise, there's no getting out to those areas, and it's, uh, it's all contained and canalized and everything like that. But, um, yeah, it would have, I mean, easily a month will strip up uh, a decomp, I'm sorry, a, a deceased person down to a skeleton in Florida, you know, above ground easily. And the animal activity will scatter those bones really quickly. So yeah, one day would have done quite a lot to degrade that. Yeah. So, and also remember this, this case, um, well, you can't really remember cause we haven't talked about it yet, but this case was essentially solved because of DNA. Now, it's something that's really, really critical to understand is that as the body decomposes, you have all of all of the, the decomposition and for lack of a better word to it, it kind of soaks into the clothing and any kind of touch DNA that would have been from the perpetrators on the outside of the victim's clothing uh, would, would have been saturated with all of this uh, body decomposition. And so, and, and it seeps into the, into the, the clothing and just from specifically on the, on the MVAC, uh, but I'm sure swabbing is, is dramatically affected by this as well, is that when you try to extract or, or try to collect the, the surface DNA, which would have been from uh, the, the, the perpetrators like grabbing the, the victims, say they wanted to move the victims out of the van where, you know, supposedly that's where they were murdered. Uh, you know, grab them by the ankles or whatever that, that body decomposition would, would saturate into the clothing and it makes it virtually impossible to collect, uh, the, the, the touch DNA that we're talking about. So it's like you said, boy, even though this took almost 50 years to solve the fact that they were found so quickly is just an absolute miracle and that's that's an that's a critical part of this whole this whole scenario and i'm i'm sure as the cold case detectives looked at this and they looked at the evidence they're saying what are the chances that we can get this and that that's a major part of it you know sometimes we wonder why cases can't get solved quicker well a lot of times it's because the evidence just will not reveal you know the perpetrator and it's and, and part of it is because of like i said decomposition, you know, just, uh, animal activity. Um, water is a, is a huge problem. Sunlight, you know, it all starts breaking down the DNA and 
when you're looking at DNA and that's, that's the primary uh, way that we solve cold cases nowadays. So uh, yeah, just absolutely incredible. So, okay, let's go, let's go back to the video. Again, this video is incredible. If you haven't seen it um, well, you'll, you'll see the majority of it here with us, but uh, you can also go just to Broward Sheriff's office, their web or their uh, YouTube channel and, and see this entire thing. So, Okay, here's the next section. They never heard from again. There's no technology to trace. It was a very hard case to solve from the onset. For decades, homicide detectives have stared into the eyes of these two children who had recently completed eighth grade and wondered who could have treated them with such indifference and violence. I think what made this case live on and resonate with investigators is the innocence of these kids. I mean, they were your neighbor. They were your daughter, they were your sister. When the murders happened, there were newspaper articles and media coverage. A year and a half later, the case turned cold. It has now become Detective Giannino's mission to solve this case. I was supposed to retire in June of last year as we progressed in the investigation and followed different leads. Uh, I just couldn't leave it for somebody else to pick up on. I've just got too much of my own life invested in it. That investment is paying off. When BSO's Cold Case Homicide Unit first began working on this video in early 2023, there were piles of reports, dozens of crime scene photos, several boxes of evidence, and Barbara and Darlene's clothing. But there were a few tangible leads in the murders. All right, man. So the first thing I, I want to ask you is, you know, based on your experience and working with other uh, investigators, especially when they're working cold cases, I mean, it, it, it's it's another thing it, working an active case, you know, just seeing the violence. I, and it's it's amazing to me that the longer that we do this, just when you look at some of the violence that humans can do to other humans, it's just, you know, you think you've seen it all and then it, it just gets worse. And so when, you know, when the detective was talking about, he, it, it became personal to him. So, Based on your experience in working with all these investigators, how, how does that affect each one of these detectives and, and CSIs that work these cases? Yeah, the VT, vicarious trauma, and they it, it takes a part of them. And I, I've known guys gone to their graves still working this in retirement. I, it's uh, really well epitomized in the movie The Pledge with Jack Nicholson. And not to give away the plot, but what happens in these, you begin to live it and it's hard to put it away and it stays with you. So, um, it's, a, it's tough on those investigators and it's really tough on the ones that really care and they work hard to solve this. And, uh, it's a, it's a very traumatic process for them. And then they have a, a, uh, a love hate relationship because they can't put this down. They're criticized often from it. I have to put this down, meaning solve the case. They're criticized for it. They get to hear things in the press like botch the case or keystone cops or things like that. And they're working with the resources they're given. You know, we show the graphic where that that uh, patchwork quilt of county properties lay out. It's almost impossible to figure out how this this Rorschach inkblot of of um, map is laid out. And you don't you you're not even allowed to go in the other jurisdiction really without having some kind of authority or coordinate with other agencies. And they have casework to do. Just even that just de degrades and erodes that investigation. It makes it very, very difficult. And of course there's 
you know, everybody's trying to solve things. They worked together very well back then, but you still have problems. Just things back in those days, you didn't have email. You couldn't even make long distance phone calls unless you logged that in accordingly. So these things all go to um, degrading that and how bad, how tough it is on somebody. And you do what you can do with the resources. Um, a couple of things that he mentioned about nothing to track back then. In those days, the only thing that you had was vehicle registration. So surely they went back and they con contacted Tallahassee and they saw every white van they could and tried to find every lead possible. But how many white vans existed back in Broward County back in the day? And they were probably looking at a very tight circle from where the girls disappeared from. That was probably the competent part of the investigation. But if it was Dania working this or in conjunction with Broward Sheriff's Office, I don't know. But that's the only way you could have databased that. Uh, another thing they mentioned um, is after a year and a half, they're forgotten. Well, the only reason that that lasted a year and a half was because other girls were murdered and the writers of the day were trying to put together stories to make linkage and get public awareness out on it. But that story falls apart. Remember, this is the golden age of serial killers, although I would doubt this seems, this doesn't seem to be a serial killer. This seems to be something other than the classic serial killer uh, model there. They, they sh the girls were shot. So what you're really talking about is a new cycle of about seven days, more like five, and then they're forgotten had it not been this other. So that's it. And if you really want to understand what that is, watch the film Memories of Murder, that Korean film, and it's tough to watch the, the, because it's in Korean language and it, there's different, but that's what those cops and detectives live with. And they're born into it and they work. And those are what was described in uh, The Wires, real police. I mean, those guys are uh, really my heroes. And I, I tried to emulate and learn every bit I could from them. And um, yeah, they have a hard life. And that's why so many of them die young. That's why so many of them crawl into a bottle, and unfortunately, why so many of them end their lives by their own choice is they have to live with this stuff. And uh, it doesn't help when people are criticizing the outside, it's, so it's a tough charter. But um, it's it's it, that's the life we all chose. Thanks for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.